Today's episode is brought to you by McLean Middleton, providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Hello, everyone. I am Ernesto Burden, publisher of New Hampshire Business Review. I'd like to welcome you to Down to Business, New Hampshire Business Review's podcast for December 22nd. Uh, we're getting ready for the holidays, and um, Jeff Feingold is not here today. He is uh, at an undisclosed location, uh, being filled with holiday spirit, I hope. Um, but uh, in his stead, uh, we are really excited to, uh, to have Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental with us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Ernesto. And uh, let me first give you and Jeff a shout out for your leadership in, in media and your leadership in various uh, awards programs that have really elevated the uh, business community and the awareness um, that we need to have as leaders. And also a big shout out for your 603 uh, you know, Diversity Magazine. And uh, when we talk about the book, um, DEI, of course, is a big part of uh, my life, so it was so wonderful that you took the lead on that, and um, sometimes, you know, you do have to stick your neck out and take the lead, and you did, and I just want to credit you and uh, Jeff as well, in general, for really sharing your expertise and really also allowing business leaders to share their expertise, whether it's in articles in the Hampshire Business Review newspaper, whether it's forums such as the top 200 most influential people, which was a great night, by the way. Just want to give you a plug for that. So thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you, Tom. And that, I, I will only half jokingly say um, it means a lot to get to get a compliment from you on leadership since you have now have literally written the book on it. And um, and and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, while we were at the New Hampshire 200, you handed me a copy, a signed copy of your book, Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive, the inside story of how one company did it right. And uh, so this is your book on, um, on how Northeast Delta Dental navigated the pandemic. But also, I think it's it's interesting to note that that it's not just a pandemic book. It's you you have a you've divided it up into sections, and you have the first section is really just sort of a business leadership principles book that I think um, people could find valuable uh, during periods of non-crisis too. And so, uh, I, I, for the listener, I, I think what we'll do is we'll we'll sort of cover the different sections of the book, uh, including just the basic business principles, the leadership principles that you outlined, the what what your company did during the pandemic. And then I think you also have some really interesting stuff about emerging from the pandemic. What's next? What are you doing with workers now? And I'd love to get into all of that. Um, but first, let's just start with how did the book come about? You, uh, How did you decide uh, to, to write this and, um, and, and so forth? Great question, and again, thank you for allowing me to promote the book, which people can pick up at the bookery, because when I saw you at that event, the top 200, right then I walked to the bookery and dropped off the copy, so it's there for if you want to buy local, and it's also at Gibson's and Concord, and if you want an Amazon truck to drive up your driveway, you can also get it on Amazon, but I would prefer people buying locally. Well, here's how it started. So we were very successful in terms of giving back uh, a lot to the community. So in 2020, we gave back conservatively $27 million 
back to the community and that was in terms of seven million dollars to the dentist to keep them up and running for because it was about a two-month period where they couldn't see patients so they were out of luck out of business for a while and then my theory was well if dentists are operating but no one has dental insurance because employers are suffering and they drop dental then what's the point of the dental industry so then we gave premium relief to our employers so many employers all employers actually uh, did not have to pay premium for a while and they can continue their coverage and so that amounted to close to uh, uh, 19 million dollars um, so then we got the employees of the employers to go to the dentists um, who we kept alive and well so as i was putting this all together i was keeping a journal um, and i'm a great believer in history so i had read john barry's book on the 1918 pandemic uh, and by the way if you haven't read that book everybody it's a great read because you you can see deja vu all over again. You'll see people on uh, streetcars with and without masks and all the controversies that we think we most recently invented actually were incurring back in 1918. And I was an English major at Harvard, so I had read uh, Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, which had to do with uh, the, the massive plague that occurred in Europe and London you know, many, many, many hundreds of years ago. So I read all that. And I thought, well, let's, let, let me keep a journal of what's going on and how we pulled this off. I'm also, in the spirit of transparency, I'm on the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Board of Directors, um, and Dr. Conroy, um, who is the CEO, president of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, occasionally would put out a journal with her notes of what's going on in the pandemic. So I sort of took all of those ideas and started to uh, um, keep, a, keep a journal. And then as we had this success in giving back to the community, then people said, geez, you should really tell that story because it must be some secret sauce to how you were able to give back $27 million, but also have one of your best years ever. So it's a great combination of servant leadership, level five leadership, giving back to the community, taking the long view. But we ourselves ended up a great year and, I, and I'll define that as all of our employees were safe, most working virtually, uh, we grew the business in terms of adding people who didn't have dental insurance before, um, and we made the amount of money that we need to make um, to be successful in, in the long run. So, so I had several friends say, "You, you should really try to, you know, put, you know, put that in writing." So, so I did, and of course, the last two or three months of the book, because it just came out a couple of weeks ago, um, ended up taking. A lot of time because first we had President Biden's announcement about the you know, mandating vaccinations, and then and then it took several weeks before OSHA came out with its guidelines, and then when it finally did, um, there were lawsuits, uh, Fifth Circuit, Sixth Circuit. So the Sixth yep. Circuit is finally allowing the emergency guidelines to go into play. So I had to keep rewriting the end to make the book uh, relevant uh, because um, that's a little bit like the. That's a little bit like that 80-20 rule, right? The <laughs> oh my God, it isn't it, Ernesto? That last, even even if it wasn't the fact that I had to rewrite the end, and finally I came up with a chapter, you know, what if it's not over? And of course it isn't, but that leads to one of your earlier questions. While this does pertain to the biological crisis that's currently underway, the tenets, the principles that we put in the book, if the next crisis is a cybersecurity crisis, you can still follow this book 
as a handbook. If it ends up being another pandemic three years from now, you can follow it. But there will be some crisis, and and more than likely, probably will relate to cybersecurity. And you could still use this book to help you, even even if this relates to the pandemic um, for a new crisis, which again might be uh, cybersecurity. Yeah. Now, I, I one of the things you mentioned, and I. I, I I had said at the top that we were going to sort of take this uh, with each section, you know, one section at a time. But but you did mention the the giving back the 27 million to the community, and that for me triggered something that you talked about in the during the crisis section of the book, which was there were a lot of things you had to do in order to do that. That that wasn't a unilateral decision. You needed board and regulator approval. And that sort of speaks to your broader theme of communication. You had a lot of stakeholders to communicate with. And, and this, so you weren't doing things in a vacuum here. So maybe no, you talk you a can't, little bit. Uh, you can't make these decisions autocratically. We had a, a pandemic committee way before COVID. So uh, we actually, where our buildings are at, in Concord, there's a train line that carries dangerous cargo. So we had always planned for if the, if the train ever exploded. So We've had a pandemic committee for like uh, you know 10 years, um, so all the planning is necessary and just communicate, communicate, communicate. You cannot communicate enough, but it's not as easy as one might think uh, to give away money. Uh, we're in a highly regulated industry, so we have to get all the approvals from the Department of Insurance, um, and we obviously have a structure. I'm the CEO of the company. I have a lot of discretionary decision making I can make. But big ticket items, such as $27 million, requires all sorts of uh, board of directors approvals. Of course, we weren't meeting in person at that point. So we had to get uh, what we call the dream team of the uh, executive committees, which in, I don't want to bore your audience, but in corporate life, the subset of the board is an executive committee, which is allowed to act in between full board meetings. So all of those folks got together with me first by phone and then when Zoom and WebEx became the way you do things, we were constantly meeting to get all those approvals. And then eventually, when we finally got together as a full board, we, uh, we re-approved um, all of those uh, givebacks to the community. And why that's important, uh, recently, and I, wrote, I mentioned this in the book, we recently had a Department of Insurance audit. And of course, what they're looking for is, did you have the authority to grant 18.9 million dollars in premium relief so even though we're sort of in this semi-crisis mode um, regulators still want to make sure you you cross your t's and dot your i's so it's very important and it gets back to why we built up the structure in the company that you have the structure and the reserves so that when when a crisis does uh, come upon you that you can carpe diem you can seize the moment because we have the governance structure and we had millions of dollars in reserve, so we could take out the $27 million without threatening um, the vitality of the company. Now, I, I mean, I guess one one question, a couple of questions rise out of that. Um, but the first one I think is, and I wanna put this diplomatically, uh, there are some companies in the country that, that have had record profits during the pandemic. Uh, they don't seem super anxious to give back those profits. Um, they, they're uh, putting them in the bank. And and you, uh, why did you? Why do you think it's important 
to give back. And I think that's, it, I think you cover this in the book really well, but for the uh, somebody who hasn't read it yet, why why is it important? Why is it valuable to your business or to you or to, to your stakeholders to, to uh, do that kind of giving back? What good is well, the it? The overarching theme throughout, once we made sure our employees were safe, first have to make sure your employees are safe because we couldn't do anything if our employees you know, weren't safe. So um, when we learned that we we're going to have to shut down the in-plant operations on March 16th, we took that first week to get everybody working from home with all the right technology, et cetera. Once that, was, once that occurred, we then went back to our values, communication, ethics, teamwork, and our oral health mission. And everything was driven based on that. And then we have an overall philosophy. We use the uh, Baldrige Performance Excellence um, framework. And by the way, um, there is not one company in New Hampshire who's ever won that national award. So I'm challenging myself, putting my own feet to the fire. We're going to uh, apply next year for it. But we use that framework because it's a seven-part framework. And, and category one is leadership, servant leadership, giving back to the giving back to the community. And category five is human resource management. And that, that those two categories have to collectively work together. So our approach has always been take care of your people, your people will take care of your customers and dentists, and then the numbers will take care of ourselves. So making more money um, during the pandemic was not even in our paradigm. It was more, can we continue our mission which is to spread dental coverage for people in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont as effectively as we did prior to the pandemic. And so with that value uh, decision-making framework, every action we took was based on that and not worrying about, well, we need to make more or, or less money. So giving back to the community in the long run, if you can take the long view and not worry about uh, Wall Street, in the long run, it is the best and most sound uh, business plan for any business. And that basically is the Baldrige framework. And companies nationally that have won um, the Baldrige framework are, are the most successful companies that, that, you know, that we've all heard about. So I, um, I, where can somebody learn more about that Baldrige framework? Because you, you, it's a through line in the book. Um, and and it, it wasn't something I was familiar with. Uh, yeah, so, so there's two ways. Um, the national award you can get on NIST, uh, Web's National Institute of Standards, or NIST. Um, and then we have, uh, and I'm chair of this in the spirit of transparency, the local state version of it is called Excellence North Alliance. So you can go on the ENA website and you get all of that information. And it really, as I wrote in the book, we've been following that uh, since 1995. And it really does set the foundation for the company that you take the long view. As I mentioned, I'm not going to say here at this in this show that we predicted COVID-19, but the Baldrige framework gave us the understanding that there would one day be some sort of crisis, and so we need to build our reserves and have the uh, the planning systems in place so we can react to it, react to it. And let me just well, not react to it, but be proactive. So let me give you an example of that. We knew that um, if there was a crisis that uh, probably our customer call center, which is acclaimed nationally, you know, you call Delta Dental, uh, you get someone within 15 seconds, a uh, human being that knows what they're talking about. And I challenge anybody that sounded my voice, call 
537-1715, and you'll get a human being soon. Unlike, uh, I hate to say it, but when you when you call various uh, utilities and banks these days, you're on hold forever. That doesn't happen. But we knew for that to be successful during a crisis, they would have to have a system that they could work from home. So we had planned and did install a beautiful new phone system, which allowed our 25 customer service reps to ultimately take calls from home. Now, obviously anybody can take a call, call from home, but in our world, the calls have to be distributed to the next available agent and our customers you know, want you to uh, track statistics. So we had to have a very sophisticated phone system. But because of Baldrige planning, we knew we needed that and we installed it. So during the pandemic, our numbers in terms of call waiting time, accuracy, et cetera, have been better than ever. And you know, I'm sure you've experienced it. It's probably the opposite case for most companies during the pandemic. You, you, know, you, know, you keep getting this message from most companies, well, you know, due, due to COVID, the, the, the wait times are longer than ever. You get messages like yeah. that. In our case, they're better than ever because we had planned you know, for a new phone system. And our customer service reps love working from home because instead of, instead of getting dressed and commuting in um, on a freezing rain day in the winter or whatever, they, they, they take their wellness break in the morning and then they're right on the phones um, at 8.30 and off and running and we have the best stats. So the whole point is if you plan through the Baldridge framework, and again, you can get that on NIST, N-I-S-T, um, or uh, locally, Excellence North Alliance. That'll provide you the the framework. In the book, I kind of tr try to describe it as simply as possible. I use a, a a bicycle model and I show how it all, how it all fits together. But but essentially, category one is leadership. You know, people like you and I getting out uh, in the community, uh, educating on DEI and things like that, giving back to the community. Category five is human resources and the various other operational and, and marketing categories that it all fits together. And it's a type of thing though, Ernesto, you, um, people should study it um, and then get a group of employees and discuss it because you can't, it can't be the flavor of the month. Um, as I mentioned, I brought this with me uh, up from Massachusetts in 1995 when I started at Delta Dental of New Hampshire. And it took really five years before I got the company where it needed to be to follow the framework. Um, so it's not like if you read my book and study the Bulger framework, you can turn you can turn it around in a couple of months. But if you stay the course, um, it'll definitely help you prepare for the you know for the next crisis. Yeah, well, it, it, clearly um, the the fact that you had this um, you know a, a pandemic plan in place and a work from home plan in place uh, before this particular pandemic put you in an enviable situation. I think. Uh, we're going to take just a quick break um, for a word from the sponsor. We'll be right back uh, with some more thoughts on leadership. I have some, some, I have a ton of questions. We're going to run out of time. All right. Anyway, quick break. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms, with headquarters in Manchester, New Hampshire, and offices in Concord and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. McLean Middleton has over 100 attorneys in five locations and has been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. A full-service law firm with practice areas in corporate, 
tax, employment, litigation, trusts and estates, energy and environment, intellectual property and privacy, and data security, to name just a few. McLean Middleton's commitment to their clients, community, and colleagues has helped them to establish and maintain long-standing relationships as trusted advisors. Whether you are starting your business, growing your business, or preparing to sell your business, McLean Middleton has the experience to guide you through the complexities of the legal system. For a complete listing of their practice areas, attorneys, and locations, visit www.mclane.com. Okay, and we're back uh, with uh, Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, talking about uh, his book, Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive, the inside story of how one company did it right. Um, and Tom, I, one of the things that, that the book covers, you know, uh, it mentions more than once is, is servant leadership. Um, and you, you specifically said earlier in the uh, podcast that this wasn't something that you could do as an autocrat. You, you know, whether it was giving away money or deciding the direction or even coming up with your um, emergency planning ahead of time, you, you did this. So maybe you can talk a little bit about servant leadership and level sure. leadership. You may hear dogs howling in the background because uh, my, my routine is I, I work out real early in the morning, um, connect with my employees uh, from home, connect with my granddaughter. Then I go into the office because we do have about uh, 35 people that come into the office with me every day. I want to give them a shout out before I forget because while 180 people have been working from home, um, there have been several employees in the mailroom in the finance department um, and my team in the executive area keep me keep my schedule under control like patty who you work with um, they come in and uh, so i want to give them a shout out but servant leadership um, is giving back to the community and it really um, bob greenleaf uh, is, you can get a book on that i put many sources in the back of the book but but taking taking the long view giving back to the community uh, being there for your employees um, is the key and defining reality for your employees. So we have literally no turnover in, in, during the pandemic, um, almost literally. Um, most CEOs say that they have several open positions. You know, we have no open positions. And a lot of that relates to the trust of giving back um, to, the, uh, to the community they see what we're doing as a company and explaining what the strategies are. And you know this, Ernesto, people actually can accept bad news if you explain it. It's when you don't communicate and then they, and then employee colleagues can make the sort of assumptions which, you know, which may not be valid. So basically the philosophy is take care of your people, define reality for them, they then will take care of their, your customers, and it's a beautiful circle of life. Once you take care of your customers, you'll grow the business, um, and then of course, employees are rewarded when the company do, does well. But employees want you to be a community activist in the right way in terms of giving back to uh, not-for-profits, whether it's you know food insecurity, whether it's you know oral health for veterans. Um, employees want to be connected with a leader in a company um, that's doing right by uh, the community. And so that's what um, servant leadership 
is all about. There's another, if people have time, there's a, there's a great book by uh, Max Dupree called uh, well, Leadership is an Art, and that really um, describes um, probably better than I'm describing it right now what servant leadership is. But effectively, it's the leader uh, being a servant for her or his employees and her or his community. And again, if you take the long view, on the short term, it might cost you some profitability. Uh, it might cost you a little bit of a work-family balance because you're out there in a the community a little bit more. Maybe you miss some family dinners. But in the long run, uh, you'll be a more successful company, more successful leader, um, and more successful, you know, husband, father, you know, grandfather. One of the one of the things that you describe in the book um, relating to that servant leadership is communication as a as a major element of your strategy during the crisis and before the crisis actually i think that's even in the before the crisis section of the book um you talk about communication being super important and then during the crisis i think you mentioned that you you emailed your whole team every single day and i i have to admit reading that like i i totally agree with you on the communication thing i'm not as good at it as i'd like to be um, but I think I'm better at it than maybe some some leaders. But but I I, I certainly um, I was reading that and I was thinking I'd love to do that. I don't know what I'd say every day, <laughs> like that wouldn't necessarily be repeating myself or or um, you know I don't know. I'm curious how you manage to do that and and keep it engaging and 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 and. and That's a great question. So. So as a, and again, I hope I do. I'm not trying to uh, hype my book. Uh, I do hope people pick it up because, by the way, any profits that we make go right back to uh, oral oral health. Um, so any profits go to our foundation. So whether it's uh, veteran dental care, you know, whether it's uh, clinics, um, every dollar that the book makes goes back to serving the underserved. So communication. I'm I'm kind of known as the dot connector. So I in, in the very in the appendix, uh, which starts a little bit after page 100, there are many many examples of the communication. But I've done well over 400 communications on a daily basis to all of my employees. And for a time when several were furloughed, again between March 16th and May 11th, I had a separate database and get, it would be touching base with my furloughed employees, giving them confidence, you know, that they would be coming back. Uh, once the dental offices opened up, which in New Hampshire was May 11th. So most everybody came back. But in that intervening month and a half, they were very nervous. So I would communicate separately with my furloughed employees and then daily as well with uh, the active employees. And eventually it all came back together. And I stumbled upon something, and I throw this out for all leaders, is people want you to be human. So um, as as you... Perhaps the listening audience heard a dog howling and a baby in the background. So we have dogs, a granddaughter that live with us. So in my uh, communications, I would acknowledge that, hey, you know, there are going to be times when you're going to be distracted working from home. That's okay. It's reality. And then I started to put in pictures uh, of my granddaughter. And then people started to engage the email because they said, oh, my God, they love that personal touch. So then to answer your question, how it became, um, it was a challenge to do it every day, but I always had something to say because if nothing else, I would give an update on the baby. 
and they loved it. But what I learned is that by having uh, the family photo of the baby and the pets, uh, people would then read it, and then I could get into the, you know, the strategy um, of the company and where where we're heading. So I always had something to say, believe it or not, every day. Some were shorter than others, but of course, in the pandemic, you know, the the, the between March 16th and May 11th of 2020, uh, I was constantly talking about, well, we're working with the the governor's reopening task force to get dental offices back up and running. So I keep them posted on there. And then when we got back up and running, then I would say, well, here are the stats. People are flocking back to the dentist. That's good. So there was always something to say. And of course, most recently, you know, just when you think we're coming out of this, then we had the Delta variant, which of course, I hate that from a branding perspective. Um, and then the Omicron. So there's all, there, there has been always, you know, something relevant to say. And, and any of anybody listening to me, and it's all in the book, you can see if we talk to any Delta Dental employee, and they, and they will definitely tell you uh, there's been a daily uh, email. And then, of course, we have external stakeholders. So on a weekly basis, I would be communicating uh, with our dental offices to make sure they knew what we were doing to help keep them in business. And then, of course, we have the employers like yourself that have the dental insurance. We wanted to let them know what we were doing with the with the premium holiday and things like that. And then of course, we also have brokers um, that are insurance brokers. And here's a, here's again, and this relates to planning. When we gave premium relief to employers, it then dawned on us, well, guess what? Brokers are paid based on the premiums we collect. And if we didn't collect premiums, then brokers aren't being paid and their employers. So we then paid our brokers as if we had collected premium. So they needed to be communicated with. And then of course, uh, individuals who have our coverage and many of them have been laid off by the employer. And we're fortunate we have a subsidiary and we know who goes on COBRA, which is what happens when you get laid off. You can, you can extend your coverage. So we became aware of who was on COBRA and we gave them premium relief. But all of that requires constant communication. So Again, you know, daily communications to employees, daily communications for a while to the furloughed employees until they came back, weekly communications to, um, to dentists, fairly regular communications to uh, customers and groups. And finally, um, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, frequent communications with our board of directors as well, because they're the ones that ultimately had to approve you know the 27 million dollar package so communication is a lot of hard work but it, it is definitely the secret sauce of northeast delta dental too i i would say the three secret sauces are communication 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 the fact that we have super duper board management align alignment because they were ready to quickly approve the the relief package and then finally using the in the baldridge uh, performance excellence framework to set the stage so you can you have the ability to be nimble and give back i think uh, that that is a perfect place tom to to wrap up for us uh, you you gave the secret sauce although i i will um i will mention for the the listeners that that uh, even though you you cut to the end and gave the whole secret away. Um, the book is is well worth a read. And at uh, 147 pages, um, it's not daunting either. I think you're, you write in a very approachable sort of um, uh, really conversational tone and, and break things out really nicely. So I, uh, it, uh, I think people will find it valuable. 
Well, thank you. And and uh, and the actual journey of the story is like uh, like a hundred pages long, and then the appendix has the uh, communications. And the other, the other cool thing is you'll recognize names in there. Um, and the one thing I'll say about servant leadership, one thing I learned was there was a time between March 16th and May 11th, uh, 2020, when I was sitting on a computer 16 hours a day um, and I stopped working out because I really had to figure everything out. But then I realized that if I wasn't physically well, um, I wouldn't be able to give back to everybody. So there is a little section on the end on, you know, on wellness, because ultimately for us, for people like Ernesto that's out there a lot, and myself, for, if we're not physically well and mentally well, we can't give back. So I do put a little section on that, but, but you're right. I mean, uh, you don't even have to read the appendix, everybody. If you just read the hundred pages, particularly uh, once we section two and when the uh, pandemic's emerging, I, I think I've had many, I'm not bragging, but I've had many people say, once you get to section two, you can't put the book down in terms of the, in terms of the journey. And I, and I reveal the secret sauce and thank you and Esther for doing what you do and, and um, including the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, which there's also a little section on that in the book as well. So thank you very much for you and Jeff for doing so much for the business community, you know, via your publications and events. Oh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate the appreciation and obviously everything that uh, that you're doing as well uh, to support us and to support the community. And, uh, and of course, the profits of the book, as you just mentioned, go to support the, the foundation and to continue to support the community. So uh, wonderful all the way around. And I, I hope you have wonderful plans for the holidays. Uh, yeah, a little skiing, um, a little uh, thank you notes for the various people that have uh, helped me during the, uh, the pandemic, a little running. I know you're a big runner and I do, I do want to emphasize the point, any money we make on this book flows right back to like people like veterans who can't get the care that they need. So thank you very much. And thanks to, list, to the listening audience as well for listening to me. All right, thank you. And thank you everyone for, uh, for tuning in. Uh, we uh, will have uh, one more podcast this year. Uh, it's already been pre-recorded by Jeff Feingold and Bob Sanders. Look for it to drop next Wednesday. It will be an economic outlook for next year. I think everybody will find it fascinating. And um, in the meantime, I hope that you all have wonderful holidays. Merry Christmas, if that's what you celebrate. Um, and if not, however you spend it, I hope that you really get some peace and, uh, and, and quality uh, downtime. So thank you.